Rhonda Grizel began her police career in 1994, where she spent 26 years with the Columbus, Ohio Police Department and rose to the rank of commander. While with the Columbus Police, she was instrumental in starting the Columbus Police Peer Assistance Team. In 2020, Rhonda assumed the role of Deputy Chief for the Reynoldsburg, Ohio Police Department, where she helped start the Metro Peer Assistant Team in Central Ohio to bring additional mental health resources to suburban agencies. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. And Rhonda, uh, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate talking about this topic. It's something I'm really passionate about. So as we get started, just tell us a little bit about your career in law enforcement, uh, where you grew up, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from Columbus. Um, I grew up in Obetz, went to Hamilton Township, which is the southern part of uh, Franklin County. Uh, And then I went on to Wittenberg University. I was actually going to be a teacher. Um, and I, you know, after doing some student teaching, I realized that was going to be really hard for me to be stuck in a building all day. So I reevaluated, I took an interest inventory at a career development office and she said, oh my gosh, I've never seen a correlation this high. And she said, I correlated 71% with a female police officer and I of course (laughs) knew nothing about it and I'm going to date myself. She said, I said, how do you how do you become one? Do you have to major in like criminology? Cause my college didn't have that. She said, no, you only need a high school diploma or a GED. And I'm like, this is going to make my parents really unhappy since I'm like a senior in college right now. It's been a lot of money. <laughs> uh, so, but she goes, go to the, um, she's where are you from? Columbus. Okay. Go to the library and get the phone book out and look up Columbus police. And, uh, call their recruiting section, and then you take a civil service test. And she told me how to do it. And a year and a half later, I was in the academy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it happened that fast. And it was the best decision I ever made, hands down. And I was going to ask if you had always wanted to be a police officer, but was it something you wanted to grow up teaching? Was that kind of what you had set yourself up for for that up to that point? I think I, well, I did, but I think it was because I really just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at Wittenberg, probably a lot of small colleges you have to declare fairly quickly to get into one of the popular majors. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just kind of kept taking general requirement courses. And then when it came time to make a decision, I was closed out of a lot of things that I was interested in psychology, business, um, sociology, they were not options, political science. Um, and I had taken a lot of classes in education and, um, you know, that particular area and my, advisor was in the health and physical education college. She was the basketball coach. And I thought, well, I like anatomy and physiology and health, and maybe I'll just go ahead and do this. It was just an easy way to go. But that's how it happened. Once you got into law enforcement, was that more of just a, okay, this is, this is a good fit. This is nice. Well, that interest inventory, I still remember taking it. I wanted to work outside and I wanted to be autonomous, and I wanted something that was physically and psychologically um, challenging and stimulating, and that fits the bill. Yeah, and I did a ride-along, and I was hooked, instantly hooked. Um, so, yeah, I, I've never looked back. It was it was great career for me. It was extremely fortunate to fall into it the way that I did, and uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it for the most part. 
Rhonda, I just realized as we're sitting here talking, we've interviewed 30 something people for, uh, first responders bridge, the podcast. I don't, I don't know that Noah and I have interviewed anybody that I know better than you. Um, you and I have known each other for about 30 years, which is kind of crazy. Six weeks between that. our academy classes. Yeah. Oh, yep. wow. We both started in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, very similar careers. Both were hostage negotiators. Um, yep. And in 2012, we uh, had the good, I had the good fortune of working with you to start our first peer assistance team. And uh, we got... And for those listeners uh, that don't know what peer assistance is, it's a critical incident stress management team and uh, got shot down a number of times before we had somebody that agreed to uh, buy into our dream, I guess. But our listeners have no idea um, what that is or how it started or um, where that idea came from. Can you just share that story a little bit? Yeah. So first of all, I'm really proud to call you a friend, not just a colleague. And uh, I'm so thankful that you ran into me in the hallway that day at headquarters and took me on this adventure. Um, For those of you that don't know Greg, he is very forward thinking, very progressive, and he always has his hands in about a million different projects. And um, one day I was uh, in headquarters and I walked out of my office and we literally bumped into each other in the hallway and he was a lieutenant. I was a commander. Um, we both had been negotiators as sergeants. And we kind of had this idea. There were a group of us that went to training one day. And we got this idea from someone that was in our class. He said, hey, I'm starting a, a peer team at my agency. And we're like, well, what, what's that? And he, and he kind of gave us the lowdown on it. And we were like, yeah, that's a great idea. But it'll probably never work where we, where we work right now. Um, so fast forward, we had change in leadership. And, you know, Greg's mind is always tinkering. And he says to me, hey. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, no, I love it. I love it because it you push people to be the best version of themselves. Thanks. That's just what you do. And so that's why I am so, I find myself, I'm very fortunate to be friends with you. Um, but you said, hey, do you remember that peer thing? Yeah. Do you want to work on it? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And you said that you'd been talking to Lisa Calendar, who was our EIP director, and you had already actually done some legwork on it. So um, that's just how it happened. We kind of rolled our sleeves up. And one of the things that I like to do wherever I'm working is surround myself with extremely bright, intelligent people that are going to enrich me and make me more well-rounded. So that's what we did. We handpicked people that we knew were very well respected in the agency and would appreciate this idea to help us figure out how to do it. And that's how it happened. Yeah. Rhonda's leaving out a ton because she did most of the heavy lifting on that project in 2012, late 2011, early 2012. And I remember you and Lisa and myself uh, sitting down and saying, let's try this. And we really did not know if it would work. Um, That was August of 2012. I think the first um, partial year that we had uh, peers, Mm -hmm. we had 18 peers that we hand selected. We looked at their personal histories and, and Rhonda hit the nail on the head. We tried to identify people that others would follow. Um, That was really important. Yeah. The natural leaders. Yep. Yep. And uh, I think that first year we had about 280 activations of the team. 
And then fast forward now, 12 years later, it's a team that has about 130 volunteers uh, from 18 that first year. And now they have over 2,000 activations every year. And so it is, um, but, you know, the really important thing there, I think, was um, you can't be afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. And with failure comes success. You learn right. things by failing. And, um, I mean, I remember us talking to before there was changes in leadership and, you know, we were told cops just suck it up. We don't worry about feelings. You just put it behind you and you move forward. Right. So, and I think a lot of our listeners have expressed that to us before that they've heard that over the decades, uh, firefighters, police officers. And I think we're in a better place now where we know that, um, sometimes that bag, that bucket, that cup get full and we need to empty that and talk to people about things we've seen and dealt with. So, well, I think you give me way too much credit um, for the for handling things in the beginning of that. I think it was a group effort, and I think you and I were great team leaders. We complemented each other's strengths and weaknesses, and we we're kind of like I, I used to say we were the yin and the yang. Um, what I was good at you let me do and the things that I wasn't good at, you were really good at. And, and I let you do some of the hard stuff. And in return, I didn't ask you to do any of the minutia. <laughs> you did, I didn't like to have the, the, the difficult conversations um, when we had to do that. And that wasn't very frequent, but you were very good at that. You're very diplomatic. I tried to shy away from that. I'll, I'll work all day long on a project and deal with details. Just go have that conversation. I don't want to have, I'm okay with that. Rhonda, could you talk a little bit about, um, you know, there's there's peer support groups all over the country, right? Can you talk a little bit about what a peer support group looks like? And then as far as confidentiality, is that something that's universal? Is that something that varies? What does that look like as well? Well, so every state's going to be different. And we're really set up well in Ohio because it is in privileged communication in the Ohio Revised Code. Um, so I can't speak about other states because I just haven't done the research. Um, but most of the time, the basic the basic premise of a peer team is, and, and I'll use law enforcement specifically because it's the, the one I'm most familiar with. We already did we already did peer counseling as cops. Every every night at the end of the shift, whenever whatever shift it was, you would find a, a parking lot to hold down and you would finish your paperwork and the other officers on the precinct would pull up next to you. And you, you've probably seen it. You see one car headed one direction, one car headed the other direction, and the drivers are talking. That was peer support. It just didn't have a name. You would always talk about the hard runs that you were on, the difficult things that you saw, something that was upsetting to you, or something that was stressing you out, maybe about home or, or a special duty job, or maybe you had other responsibilities. And that was our safety valve. And so all this really does is formalize that. Um, it's just a way for us to let that steam off before it builds up in a confidential environment. And it is privileged communication under 2317.02, and I believe it's K, K as in King, in the ORC. So how do these differ from, you know, traditional counseling? If If I'm a first responder and I go to a counselor, right, and I sit down, how is this different from that? How is this, you know, set apart? So peers are trained in basic psychological first aid. So they're going to talk about um, maybe tips and and tactics to help relieve um, acute stress that you're experiencing. 
Um, they may work with you to find a therapist if that's something you want to do. Um, sometimes when you're down in the dumps, even navigating those insurance questions and trying to find someone that would take a new patient and, you know, having to make those calls can be difficult. So that's something a peer can do as well. They can do linkage. Um, they can link you to, if you have an employee assistance program, they can just link you to that. Um, you can do pre-incident education, um, meaning these are the signs and symptoms of stress that you could experience if you've been exposed to a trauma at work. Um, so those are the kinds of things that a peer can do. A therapist is going to be a, a licensed person. They're going to have a lot more training. It's going to be at a much higher level. Um, and, and it's probably going to be for a much longer term uh, period of time. And they're going to have treatment plans and they're going to have a lot more expertise. So this is a safety valve. It's a stopgap. And it's a way to help alleviate some of that stress before it builds up and becomes something that's much more serious. Okay. Uh, I know that at many of our retreats that we have with First Responders Bridge, um, and listeners, if you have a question about First Responders Bridge, just go to our website, firstrespondersbridge.org, or on Facebook, First Responders Bridge. Our next retreat is coming up in March, and uh, you're welcome to join us. We'd love for you to come to Columbus, Ohio. Beautiful time of year that uh, spring is starting to uh, come into bloom. But I know a lot of people at those retreats talk about they're from smaller agencies, fire, EMS, police, and they don't know really how to go about starting a peer team. They think to themselves, hey, my agency is way too small. And um, Rhonda, when you transitioned away from uh, a large agency to a smaller suburban agency, you didn't stop with uh, Columbus's peer support team. You went out and you grew and strengthened a regional peer support team. And so would you share that maybe as an information path for people that are listening to this that think, hey, there's only 10 officers in my department. We can't do a peer team. Uh, will you just share a little bit about the Metro team and how you've moved that forward and some ideas how you might be able to grow a team? Sure. Um, so I left Columbus in October of um, 2020. And it was apparent to me that you know, the officers in the suburbs are going on the same kinds of runs, possibly not the volume that you know a, a big city officer would see, but they're certainly experiencing the exact same kinds of trauma. Um, they're seeing victims. They're dealing with, with um, people who aren't in their, the best place when they call the police. I mean, nobody calls the police for a good thing, right? So they're carrying around the same baggage, and they didn't have the, um, the same opportunities that my peers in Columbus had. And the reason for that, and I talked to Lisa a lot about this, smaller suburbs don't have the access to an in-house EAP the way a large suburb or a large city would. Um, it's not usually um, fiscally uh, possible for them to employ those folks. So they usually have a, a contracted EAP. And, and I'm not, this isn't a judgment statement. It's just not there. You'd literally call a 1-800 number and the person on the other line will try to hook you up uh, or set you up with uh, a therapist in your area. A lot of times those folks are not uh, vetted to be first responder uh, friendly. And, and it, is, it is a special uh, way to deal with people in therapy. They're going to hear things that normal citizens aren't experiencing, and it's a lot of trauma and it's a lot of heavy stuff. So they, they need to be specially trained to be ready for that, to protect themselves, number one but also 
to make the first responder feel safe enough to unload that. Um, so that's the real problem is you in these models, you need a clinician to be your mental health support and help guide you and make sure that you're staying within your practice area as a peer. So um, I had already had some conversations with a couple of suburban um, lieutenants, and they were interested in setting up a peer team. I had talked to them before I left Columbus. Uh, so I reached back out to them and I said, what if we could share clinical support and work under the same umbrella? We could call it, I'm just throwing words out here, we could call it Metro Peer Team or Metro Peer Consortium. And I learned that word when I went to the suburbs. They have trash consortiums and all kinds of, they share cost. So I, I got this idea of, well, what, why can't we figure out a way to share that? And then each agency could train their own peers in the model that, that you, is used in Ohio. And they would have their own, um, I can't think of the word. They would have control of it. Each agency chief could decide to run it how they wanted to. And then I would use Columbus as a model for that and, and try to get this to be replicated across the county and teach everybody in the suburbs what I did in Columbus. And they were like, oh, we're all in. Let's do it. So it started out with about, I don't know, six or seven suburban agencies. Um, one of the ways that I got buy-in is I went to like the Franklin County uh, Chiefs Association meeting and I just pitched the idea. And a lot of chiefs were like, they were looking for something. They, they don't know what they need for their officers, but they know they need something. And they were very supportive. Um, we've gotten um, agencies that are even in Delaware County now. Um, so we've grown to about 12 agencies, including my agency. And it's, it's really growing. So I'm excited about it. And I'm happy to be able to bring that solution to them. That's very uh, encouraging to see that coming out, especially to areas like you said, suburbs, because I've had friends recently who have been like, I'm on a department and I want to start a peer support team. And then I mean, this is weeks ago. And he's like, I have no clue where to start. Like, we don't have anything like that out here. I don't know who to contact about that. So ha having access to that in suburbs and it's starting to get out is encouraging because even out there, they're like, we have nothing. Like, we have no way, right. you know, we, we don't have an EAP. We don't have anything. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not having an in-house clinician makes it more difficult, but it's not something that's insurmountable. It can be done. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very happy to have that. I think the other important part of that, uh, Noah, is, and we talk about it at our retreats, um, you know, us, us cops are not the most trusting group. And so we have to find just that right fit of clinician. And certainly in... Um, more rural areas or uh, smaller states, that's more challenging. Right. And so we are we are really fortunate that um, when we find someone that is a clinician that we trust, um, oftentimes those clinicians have networks and those clinicians know others, uh, both in your city, state, or other states, that they can recommend you to someone else. Um, and we talk about that a lot at our retreats, uh, especially in the breakout section. Uh, sessions on uh, Saturday mornings. But um, yeah, that's, I, I know a lot of people listening are from smaller agencies and, and they might not know how to start that. So um, yeah. Yeah. The model, the model that we've used is the In International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. It's critical incident stress management. Um, there are three different main ways that you can respond in a group environment. And then the one-on-one -on -one support. 
Um, but, you know, there are lots of different areas that you can go get training in and try to build up your skills, active listening skills, um, psychological first aid, stress, trauma, and resilience, any of those types of topics. If you don't have a model like ICISF in your, you know, in your area, you're unfamiliar with it, um, you can build your own training. Just, you can Google it for lack of a better word, um, and, and find the things that are going to give you the building blocks that you need to feel confident in leading someone. So if I'm an organization or an agency and I want to start, you know, developing one or just being more supportive, how can how can I be more supportive as an agency to peer support or to getting involved with peer support? Well, if, if you're a chief and you have that vision, um, you know, there are lots of resources out there. And I know I would be happy to try to provide anything that I can, a standard operating procedure that we have that we utilize that guides um, peers, uh, and how you're going to respond. Um, the, the Metro agreement that we created and, and we did that just so that chiefs would understand what they're agreeing to do. Um, but also understand, and we spelled it out, your mission comes first because what I learned in the suburbs is your, your resources are not, um, endless, endless possibilities as they are in a big city. So it was very important for, for me to present this, this idea as a way for them to participate, but also have that autonomy to be able to preserve, hey, I'm, I only have five people today, so my operations, I, I want to help, but my operations really have to take front and center. Ask next time when there's a big event, and we'll send someone if we can. So um, I, I think there's probably a lot of information out there. I know the Ohio uh, Department of Public Safety has a first responder wellness site with lots of resources. They even have information about the bridge on there. Um, so that would be a place where I would suggest, even if you're not in the state of Ohio and you have the internet, you can look up the Ohio Department of First Responder Wellness under the Department of Public Safety, and that would give you lots of tips as well. Okay. Yep, and if you're a listener and you would like to uh, connect with Rhonda to get some of those resources, just send us uh, an instant message on Facebook on the First Responders Bridge Facebook page, and we will uh, get Rhonda and you connected. Yep, sounds great. Rhonda, as we uh, wind down here, could you talk a little bit about the importance of self-care for peer support members? And is there anything that you do to practice self-care as a peer support person? Yeah, so, you know, when you're listening to another person share the trauma that they're experiencing or the difficulty that they're having, you can start to empathize with that and take that on. And it, it, get, it gets heavy. So, you know, it's really important to, I, I, I try to practice being present, mm. um, controlling the things that I can control, being grateful, um, thinking about those types of things, doing meditation, uh, listening to podcasts. Um, th- there's a guy that named Corey Mascara that I, I really enjoy listening to. And a lot of these things are free. If podcasts, there are meditation um, apps out there that are free. They have opportunities to pay for it, but you can also certainly start with the free ones. So, you know, gratitude, graciousness, um, being grateful, um, staying present, practicing mindfulness, and then, you know, making sure you're getting enough sleep and exercise and things like that. That's all very important when you're doing this kind of work. And especially if you have like a 
music subscription. Like I have, I have Spotify premium, but even if you have the free Spotify, there's like guided meditations you can do on there. There's nature sounds. I'm a sucker for some nature sounds that make me fall asleep like a baby. <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. And it doesn't like that, you know, meditation doesn't have to take forever. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. You can do it for five minutes. Breathing is another great way to settle your mind and just relieve the stress and bring yourself back to the present. Absolutely. Yeah. I will. It doesn't even have to be five minutes. I mean, there are, there are days when I say, um, you know, I'm not going to take it day by day today. I'm going to take it hour by hour mm-hmm. or minute by minute. Yeah. And if I only have a minute, I'll close my door and meditate for a minute. Mm-hmm. I might do that 10 times throughout the day and night, mm-hmm. but um, any time at all that you can relax your mind uh, and and ease into the rest of the day, that that's beneficial. Yep, Absolutely. And as we close out, do you have any advice for anybody who um, is involved in peer support or someone who's hesitant to join a peer support group? Well, so if you're thinking about starting one, you have to remember that you have to you have to select people that have good reputations on your agency are not known to be gossips because cops aren't going to buy into talking to a person that they think is going to go spill all their information. Mm-hmm. So you have to carefully select people and then you really have to guard that confidentiality. And if there is ever a breach, you have to act very swiftly. Um, so that would be my advice in starting out, pick out the natural leaders that people are going to follow and ha- ask them to sell the idea, have them buy into it and then have them sell it for you. And it'll take off on its own. And then for a person who's reluctant to use it, what do you have to lose? If you're in pain and you don't have another option, they're telling you it's confidential. Take a chance. Um, I would say 99.9% of the time you're going to be much better off and and you're going to wish you would have done it sooner. So take that first step, reach out, get some tips and pointers, some support, and then if you need linkage to go um, to a more professional route, you can certainly do that. But don't just sit there and be in pain and be miserable and be unhappy. Let's do something about it and, and take a step forward. Rhonda, thank you so much for talking with us today. This thank is something you. that is really needing to grow to, you know, help break this stigma, especially with first responders, uh, with police, fire, EMS, dispatchers, all of them. So just thank you very much. This is a huge help. You're welcome. It's one of my passions. And thank you for having me on. And thanks to Mick and The Bridge for advocating for this topic. It's very, very important in our world. Thank you, Rhonda. As we finish out, I'm going to do our praise of the day. I love doing these. This one's out of South Bend, Indiana, where a police officer, Brian Meter, was finishing up some work at his desk when he heard a commotion in the lobby of the police department. And when he went to investigate, he found a panicked couple stating that their child needed help and was unresponsive. And without hesitation, Officer Meter grabbed the child and began chest compressions. And then the child eventually became responsive and medics arrived to take the child to the hospital where the child is continuing in his recovery now. So great heroic work by Officer Meter, who uh, who probably helped save that child's life in the lobby of the police department. So so very, very cool. Cool of the parents to know where to go, and uh, great work done by him. But that is all we have for everybody today. So again, Rhonda, thank you so very much. And uh, Greg, pleasure as always. Likewise. And we will see you all next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast.